This podcast is sponsored in part by Mises. Since the financial crisis, capital markets have weathered an ongoing storm of regulatory and economic challenges, and firms are now turning to innovative solutions to satisfy their long-term goals. Fusion Capital delivers a phased approach to transformation, bringing immediate enterprise-wide services, long-term cost control, and controlled risk for the organization. As an open, flexible solution with the integrated risk management and fully cloud-enabled, Fusion Capital can be deployed in stages, delivering assured cost reduction, cross-asset consistency, and the ability to better manage the demands of constantly changing markets. To find out more, please go to mysis.com and search Solutions Fusion Capital. Hello and welcome to a DerivSource podcast. I'm Julia Schieffer, the founder and editor of DerivSource.com. The derivatives industry is gearing up for the next big deadline for BCBS IOSCO margin requirements for non-clear derivatives on March 1st, and this follows the first deadline last September for initial margin. In this podcast, I'm speaking to Michael Beaton, Managing Partner at Derivatives Risk Solutions, a specialist risk consultancy, about this deadline what's included in the variation margin requirement, and why it's such a big deal for market participants and the derivatives industry. So we're talking about the variation margin big bang. With me, I have Michael Beaton of DRS. First question for you, Michael, can you give us a little bit of a recap first and what is the big bang, why people are calling it this, and what's included in this variation margin deadline and who needs to comply for this particular deadline? Well, Big Bang refers to the deadline on the 1st of March 2017, when, broadly speaking, all market participants in G20 countries need to have amended their CSA documentation in order to comply with the new rules regarding variation margin. It's being called Big Bang because, well, in contrast to, for instance, phase one, which involved the dealers in the US, Japan, and Canada sorting out their VM and IM documentation. And in contrast to phase 1.5, which involved the dealers in Europe sorting out their IM and VM arrangements. And also in contrast to just IM generally, which is phased in on the 1st of September of each year until 2020, depending on the amount of trading the firm in question undertakes. VM compliance for the rest of the entire market is happening all at once on the first. As to who needs to comply, well, there are exceptions for end users and very small players. For example, in Europe, NFC minuses are not subject to these rules. There are also the usual exemptions for central banks and supranational organizations. And by and large, CCPs don't have to comply either. Beyond this, however, it impacts everyone who trades OTC derivative transactions. Now, broadly, the high-level changes that must be made are VM margin calls must be met intraday, zero thresholds must apply, minimum transfer amount can't exceed 500,000 euros or the foreign currency equivalent, only certain items will constitute acceptable collateral, so for instance, there's no more letters of credit, and minimum haircuts must apply to each category of collateral. Okay, perfect. Now, obviously, that's a very big deadline and a very big challenge for a lot of firms. Looking into specifically the challenges into some detail, 
What do you think are really the biggest challenges that firms face as they race to meet this deadline? And how will these challenges be different compared to the initial margin requirements and deadline that we experienced in the industry in September last year? Well, as far as the biggest challenges go, we see three primarily. Firstly, lack of resource. Secondly, lack of understanding. And thirdly, lack of time. So looking at each one of those in turn, firstly, lack of resource. To take our example, we're currently helping seven clients to document their WGMR compliance. We're in the fortunate position that we have a pool of experienced DISDA and TSA negotiators, and we can train more relatively quickly. I can tell you from the number of calls that we've received over the last six weeks, that demand for ISDA and CSA negotiators is absolutely huge. And it's now very difficult to find good people if you haven't got them already. Secondly, lack of understanding. You'd be surprised at the number of firms which still don't know that the non-cleared margin rules actually exist, don't know which rules apply to them, and haven't formed a clear view of how or even if they intend to negotiate their CSAs. As you can imagine, it makes the whole negotiation process exponentially more difficult, particularly in light of the third factor, lack of time. Everyone has known that the rules were coming for an awful long time. Everyone's also had a reasonably good idea about what they were going to say for a decent length of time. However, it really hasn't been that long since the rules themselves were published, at least in Europe. They weren't actually published in the official journal until the 15th of December 2016. Now, small changes can make a big difference, so it's understandable that many waited until finalisation before doing anything concrete. Unfortunately, that really doesn't leave anyone with a lot of time. And I'll probably add one more to the mix, cross-border complexity. When negotiating documentation between counterparties established in different jurisdictions, it can make the whole process an awful lot more complex. Which rules apply? Can a position be documented which makes both sides happy? What happens if this isn't possible? As to how it's different from September 2016, well, it's a bit of a case of swings and roundabouts. Phase 1 and also Phase 1.5 suffered on account of the fact that the exercise was brand new and the parties were trying to sort out IM and VM at the same time. And I think it's fair to say that IM arrangements are a lot more complex than VM arrangements. So whilst Big Bang only involves VM arrangements, the sheer scale of the exercise involving basically the rest of the entire market adds a huge layer of complexity. One of the things I mentioned is that some firms are still not 100% aware of this deadline coming up and that they need to comply with it. Let's talk a little bit about the tools that those firms can use to hopefully get prepared quickly. One of the tools I'm thinking of in particular is the protocol. So what tools do you think would be the most useful for firms to use to prepare ahead of March 1st? Well, as you mentioned, the most obvious one is the VM protocol. As of today, only 489 firms have actually adhered to the protocol. And when you factor out group companies, the true number is actually quite a bit less than that. In general, banks have either adhered or are planning to. However, they're not hanging their hat on this as a solution. We've really only seen two banks actively go out to the market and push the protocol as their preferred choice. And on the basis of the numbers of adherence to the protocol, I think it's fair to say they've probably met with limited success. 
Now, in contrast, the buy side has largely shunned the protocol. Why is this? Well, I think there are a number of reasons. Protocol structure. Protocols are well suited to making large-scale amendments of a simple nature. Unfortunately, WGMR compliance is not that straightforward. In fairness, I think the protocol is slightly too complicated for its own good. For example, firstly, you have to read across a number of documents, even other protocols, one time in order to form a real view of what you signed up to. Then there are complex series of scenarios which determine whether or not your documents even match those of your counterparty, and if not, you have to tweak them. Lastly, the final form of the document depends on elections that both you and your counterparty make. There's a widely held view that spreading your contractual arrangements over multiple documents isn't really a good thing as far as risk management is concerned. Also, I think it's generally agreed that you're almost certain to have to be required to bilaterally amend documentation anyway, even if you do adhere. Why is this? Well, not all jurisdictions are covered, particularly Asian jurisdictions, and not all of your counterparties will adhere. As to other solutions, Acadia Soft has developed a solution called Agreement Manager. This I understand to be a tool to help repapering of CSAs, and I have to admit I don't know much about it, and I haven't actually heard of anyone intending to use it. However, good luck to them, because if their solution can overcome some of the problems associated with the protocol, then I think it will be a genuinely useful addition. So we've talked about the actual deadline itself, what it means to different firms, and of course the challenges that they face. What about the consequences if firms don't comply in time? What are they? Well, the consequences of non-compliance are quite simple. You won't be able to trade post 1st of March 2017. That's pretty much it. Not quite a big consequence then. My final question for you, Michael, is that as we near the deadline, do you have any advice for the listeners out there as they plan to comply in the final weeks ahead of March 1st? Well, I think the first thing I'd say is that depending on the size of your portfolio, it's actually not too late to start, although you're definitely well behind the curve and you may struggle to find resource if you haven't done so already. But beyond this, I think I would focus on four things. One, decide how you want to handle the redocumentation process. Number two, understand the information you need to have. Three, define your negotiating position. Four, prioritize your negotiations. It may be worth just saying a a few more words about each one of those in turn. First of all, decide how you want to handle the redocumentation process. Do you want to go out there with your own document? Are you happy to deal with the documentation of your counterparty? Just be aware that if you want to go out with your own document and you're facing a bank, based on the experience we have at the moment, I think there's probably a 75% chance that the bank probably won't look at it. Stretch for resources, usually the excuse that you'll receive back. Point two, understand the information you need to have. Firstly, find the existing documents, not as easy as it may sound. Next, there's a fairly finite list of information you need to have at hand, such as counterparty name, date as of date of the ISDA, eligible currencies, eligible collateral and their haircuts, and minimum transfer amounts but do make sure that you actually have access to this information. Number three, define your negotiating position. So the big question is, do you want to split the treatment of legacy trades from WGMR trades 
or do you want to keep the two together? Having decided about that, then have a think about what will you accept by way of eligible collateral. So most firms are going with cash-only, often single currency CSAs. In Europe, if you want to accept and or post non-cash collateral, that's fine. But you'll need to think about FX haircuts. An FX haircut of 8% applies broadly if the denomination of any non-cash collateral differs from those agreed within the underlying is the CSA or any confirmation. And this will also have an impact on the definition of value within your CSA. So keep an eye on this as a definition that maybe needs to be changed. Other things to think about haircuts more generally. Do the haircuts in your existing documentation meet the minimum requirements? If not, they'll need to be amended. What MTA do you want? 250,000 to 400,000 seems to be where the market's settling at the moment. Spot FX, what about this? Do you want to include it? Do you want to exclude it? Most are choosing to exclude it, which is allowed. How do you feel about some of the other clauses that we're seeing that may be useful, but aren't strictly speaking necessary in order to achieve WGMR compliance? So examples would be negative interest. Do you want this to apply or not? Daily interest compounding. Do you want this to be applicable or not? What about the notification time? Do you want to make this slightly earlier in the day so that you can safely meet the new intraday margin requirement? Interest transfer versus interest adjustment. This is a new concept under the VMCSAs. So interest transfer means that interest which is owing is simply paid over to the party which is due, whereas interest adjustment means that the cash component of the existing stock collateral is adjusted to take account of interest that's due from one party to the other. It isn't actually paid over. Most are going for the former. It's probably a systems issue, but how does that suit you? Then what about things like interest payment netting? So this is also a new mechanic which allows payments of interest to be set off against deliveries of collateral. Again, most firms are opting not to include this. Again, probably a systems issue, but how do you stand in relation to that? Legally ineligible credit support. Again, another new provision gives the holder of collateral the ability to notify its counterparty that certain collateral or a specified amount of it is no longer eligible and to require its replacement, designed to help parties comply with eligibility requirements concentration limits. In practice, there's a fairly even split between those who are using this new functionality and those who aren't, but how does it suit you? And lastly, probably credit support offsets. Again, another new provision which applies where you have more than one CSA in place. That might be the case where you've chosen to deal with legacy trades differently from WGMR trades. And it effectively allows deliveries of collateral between the two CSAs to be set off against each other. So that brings us on to point four, which is prioritize your negotiations. There's an absolute mountain of paper being exchanged at the moment. Not every negotiation is going to get over the line by the 1st of March 2017. I think I can't stress this point enough. A large number of negotiations are not going to get finished. In some cases, they won't even get started by the 1st of March. Even the largest banks don't have that kind of resource. Now, that's okay. As long as you don't trade on non-compliant docs, you'll be fine. However, it means that you need to prioritize those key relationships. You need to get some of those negotiations over the line. So you need to know which ones they are. 
I love that you have four key pointers for our audience before they continue on with their preparations today and up to March 1st. Thank you very much, Michael, for sharing your expert insight with us in this very timely topic. My pleasure. To find out more information on this topic, please go to the show notes page on DerivSource.com and feel free to share your comments on this podcast on the same page as well. And if you're listening via DerivSource.com, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or listen via the free DerivSource app. Thank you for listening. Join us next time.